You're listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. Outlets for Heroes, and it is another beautiful day in the Jewish state, and I want to start off this program uh, by saying thank you, thank you, thank you to the guys at America's Web Radio who bring the truth about the Jewish state to the grassroots of the United States. The truth about Israel as this country is number one in the world in technology, agriculture, and medicine, and the vast amounts of humanitarian work that this country does around the world. Sir, it is amazing. It's amazing. Seth Mandel, I want to say thank you. Rabbi Seth Mandel, I want to say thank you for being on Insight to Israel. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's a beautiful day out in the middle of Jerusalem. It is. Uh, what could be better than that? Sir, Baruch Hashem, if I could, if my Hebrew's sounding okay. Uh, well, I could say Baruch Hashem, but it's okay. It took me years to learn that. <laughs> so I want to say thank you to the guys at America's Web. I also want to say thank you to everyone uh, who likes who listens, who looks, who comments, who shares all of our social media, our Facebook, our YouTube, our Twitter, uh, Instagram, all of these things that bring every level, that bring the truth, again, of the Jewish state to the grassroots, not not just to the United States, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, around the world. It is amazing, amazing that when you find yourself partnering with the right people how you can take how you can be small and take a big message it's it's unbelievable around the world so thank you to everyone in the social media and lastly i want to say thank you to everyone that is a participator and not a spectator by sending uh, chocolates for heroes to the israeli soldiers folks you'll never even be able to wrap your mind completely around what a note, a simple note, like this in Hebrew. This is the extent that some folks go. They put the notes in Hebrew. There are people literally, uh, Rabbi Mendel, that are literally learning Hebrew and writing the notes in Hebrew. These are not Jewish people, mm-hmm. Jewish Americans. And so these chocolate bars are coming from all over the U.S. And uh, let me find, here we go. Uh, they're coming from all over the U.S. Now, this is a synagogue in California that actually sends a thousand every year. Wow! And uh, so, I want to say thank you to everyone that gives to Chocolates for Heroes. Continue. Look, you can go to Facebook, look up Insight to Israel. Our our, her, our Chocolates for Heroes page is kind of like shut down because we used another company, but we used their name. I can't say their name on the air. Uh-huh. And so finally they caught up with me over 6,000 miles away and said, ah, it's too controversial. You can't use our name. So that's all right. We keep it going. So thank you to everyone. Thank you. God bless you. Listen, I just want to add that uh, I have a son who is in the reserves in the Israeli uh, Israeli army. Um, he's a lieutenant in the, in, in the reserves. I have another son who's right now in active duty um, down in the Negev Desert wow. in uh, in Israel. And uh, uh, so, from an Israeli whose whose sons are serving, my uh, our the one of my colleague here in the, the Kobe Mandel Foundation where we work is today going out to the um, to the final program. 
graduation program for his son, who's a combat soldier um, down also in uh, on the Gaza Strip. Wow. So, uh, and, and one more thing, and my son's Please. friends who are in the um, engineering corps are down. I don't know whether you read about it, but the Israeli army has found some tunnels coming out of Gaza. Wow. Those are the guys, my son's friends, he told me that he, he was there for, uh, for Shabbat with them, that they heard the bullets going over the heads wow. of the sniper. Wow. And they they heard the uh, um, uh, the mortars go by. They were shooting at them and my, and my, and my son's friends. Um, uh, thank God they weren't hurt. Thank God they found the tunnel. And I got to tell you, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, my son's friend, one of his name is Inbar, he said, I'm the guy who got up and shot back at them with a the machine gun. <laughs> and that was fun, you know? So, you know, the chocolate, you know, this is, this is a, a country which, uh, while the news comes out, sounds pretty, uh, pretty bleak. The fact of the matter is we're living our lives, we're having fun, um, and to bring chocolates to soldiers, I mean, what could be better? Right, <laughs> right. You know, I always, people, sometimes they, you get in a discussion, I say, you know, I lived in the United States, and I'd go to the mail, and i get bills. I come to the Jewish state, I go to the mail, and I get chocolate. Why would I want to leave, you know? And, and you know, first of all, I want to say, I would love to personally take your son uh, and your grandson. Is that your grandson you're referring to? No, my, my son. My your son. son. I would love, I travel all over the country, I go to Hebron, I love going to mm-hmm. Hebron with the soldiers there. And I would be honored, sir, to take your son uh, and even the one in the reserves, hand them from Americans chocolates. That would be great. That would be great. Way to go. We'll, we'll, we'll put that together. He'd love to see you. Awesome. We'll show awesome you around stuff. the base and uh, to the soldiers. It'll be great. Sure. You, you, I'll tell you, when I'm, you know, I'm 45 years old, but the honor. The honor uh, as an American, as someone who's not Jewish, uh, and I see the greatness of your country. I see how God uh, has blessed you in 68 years. Happy birthday. Mm-hmm. What you've done in 68 years is such a miracle. It overwhelms me. Mm-hmm. And then when I get around your soldiers, I, I pray when I see them, I say, God, please take these are your these are your people. Mm-hmm. You know. Rabbi Mandel, I want to say, you know, some some people it's hard for this to take, but I'm sitting here right next to. Wow, this, can you handle this? I, I'm, I'm pretty tough. I'm yeah. sitting here next to a chosen one. When I look at most of the people that walk up and down this street, I clearly understand that the majority of these people are from the tribe of Judah. Now you found the other tribes, Manasseh. And uh, how do you say in Hebrew? Uh, we got Don, Trevor, Don, Menashe. Menashe in Hebrew, too. And when I see this, and then I look at prophecy, and I see how the world has tried to bomb you and burn you out and stab you, boycott you, and then I see that you just keep making greatness, it's exciting. It's pretty amazing. It's true. It's it is true. very exciting. And to the American Jews, I want to say, listen, there is a group of Jews in the United States that are saying, you know what? we got to be better Jews before we come home. Are you serious? Are you serious? Listen, when God brought the Jews out of Egypt, Moses didn't say, well, you know, maybe you should come. Please come. Or, no, you have to be better first while you're in Egypt before you, you know, make it to the promised land. No, Moses said, come home now. Come or die. Mm -hmm. And to see that the folks that come, listen, you want to be blessed? 
as, an, as a Jew, as someone who's Jewish in the United States and around the world, you come home and stand strong with your people, sell all, empty your bank accounts. Who cares about the economies of other countries? If they stand with Israel, they'll be blessed. But when you come home, I'm telling you, you will know that you're home. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to get Can all I add stuff. something? Can I add something? Please. I was down in Lot uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We had a program which we'll talk about later on with 250 children in, in the Lot. And I was sitting in the hotel lobby and the guy came to play some music. Turns out he was from Brooklyn, a Jewish guy from Brooklyn. And he came up to my wife and I afterwards and he said, uh, you guys live here? I said, yeah, almost 20 years now. He said, uh, gee, that's unbelievable. He said, you know, I don't really like it in America. He said, but I live there because that's where my life is. I said, well, you know, the problem with America is for a Jewish guy, there's no there there. Right. You know? Right. You come here, you live here, and you feel like you're part of Jewish history. Amen. You feel like you're on the edge of the of the wave of what's happening in the world. I say that, you know, in, in 2,000 years, in 1,000 years, they're going to remember what happened here in Israel, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, the, the 1,000 years before. Right? They're not going to remember what happened in New York or Montreal or Chicago. That much I can guarantee you. They'll be talking about us, not that. Not that. that is awesome. You know what? Listen, sir, you wouldn't believe the emails I get from Americans that say, Michael, you're blessed to be in Israel. You're, you are in the best place, the safest place. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I'm going to tell you, the governments, the time right now, it, we're, for, uh, and I come from a biblical perspective as a Christian, agree or disagree, we are in the time of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. We call it the Romans. Exactly. <laughs> and soon, man and his governments will crumble. They will crumble, and they will all... This is beautiful, sir. I never thought that I would be sitting here and realizing that one day they will all come to Jerusalem and worship the one true God. Well, you know, we got them to come. They all come. The worship part we're working on. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Come, that's right. Okay, so moving forward. Wow, sir. First of all, it is good to see you again. Nice to see you. And our first encounter was... Uh, in 2013, you and your wife happened to be at BB's government house, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we did some interview there. That was like, that was when I was really bad at interviews. <laughs> but I think I've got, I think I've improved a little bit. But uh, let me, could you kind of refresh about that first interview that that we did while you sure. were there? Um, my wife was very upset. Um, I don't know whether, whether, whether this is out there yet. Um, my son Kobe was murdered by a ter Palestinian terrorist 15 years ago yesterday, according to the Gregorian oh, calendar. Oh, wow. So the, the Jewish the Gregorian state, I'd rather go by the Hebrew, the, but the, anyway. The, the Hebrew calendar is two weeks. Okay. But, the, but the, uh, the English calendar, the American calendar, was, was yesterday. Um, and my wife was very upset because the Israeli government was uh, essentially releasing Palestinian terrorists who had blood on their hands, who were killing. They released a woman who drove the, car, the, the bomber to Sabara. Wow. Now, we know a number of people because of our work, um, and I met—I just bumped into one the other day, uh, who's the woman. That woman is now living in Jordan, has a TV show. Wow! Talks about wow. how she would do it again. Talks about how she she's proud of what proud of what she did. Um, my wife got very upset about this uh, and created a, a, an organization called uh, in Hebrew it's called Imaot Lenetzak, which means Mothers Forever, and they had a protest outside of Bibi's uh, Bibi's house uh, to protest. The um, the return or the the release of, of terrorists with blood on their hands. Wow. Um, so what what you don't know probably is that while that particular release was already in 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 process and didn't stop, they are passing a law or they did pass a law that said 
Palestinians with blood on their hands can no longer be released. Um, so it, 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 the the protest that we went to the Knesset that what actually seems to have had an effect on the policy of the state of Israel. Wow! Um, so, wow! That's amazing, sir. This is something new to me because I even I don't recall, and I'm sure it was said uh, about uh, this woman in Jordan. They we committed that. We didn't know that. It was out there. She had yeah, been there. It was just new. I mean, three years ago. Now, let me say this. I'm not. I don't want to sidetrack, but it, it, it needs to be said, ladies and gentlemen. Let me emphasize that the United States government. I don't. The United States government funds. Arms, trains, free food, free medicine, free money, free education, over a dozen Muslim countries, and the Palestinian Authority. Every time there's a rocket that goes off from the Gaza that this man's children must put their life on the line, every bullet, every rocket that comes from the Gaza has America's name on it. And every soldier that is shot, that ends up in the hospital, the blood of that soldier is on the hands of the American taxpayer because we have allowed the politicians, both political parties, to fund this terrorist organization. And Egypt and Jordan, I'm I'm, going to make my point about this woman's red TV show. Egypt and Jordan, regardless of what you see in the media, are not friends with this country, okay? Just because they're not at war with them doesn't mean they're not doing things to undermine the Jewish people here in Israel with TV shows just like this. Funded by the Jordanian kingdom, who all these kingdoms, when they want to fight ISIS, they don't care about Israel. They're not on the side of Israel. You know, they're not looking out for Israel's best interest. They are looking out for their own little kingdom. So I made my point with the TV show. Jordan is not a friend of this country. This country does more for Jordan than Jordan does for itself. But that's another story. Believe me, that's why they're making peace. They're not making peace because they like us. Right, exactly. So, okay, so I met you folks then. An amazing, amazing story. Sir, I have to ask you, and we're going to get into the details of this. I don't know, quite honestly, I see what you've been able to build uh, in spite of the, how do I say it? When God went to Cain and said, where's your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, your brother's blood cries from the ground. In spite of the fact, sir, that your son's blood calls for justice from the ground, you've been able to make flowers spring up from that. And it's amazing. Thank you. I don't... I personally, I'm not a parent. I was a child at one time. I still kind of am to my mother. What is it like for you? I want you to share your story with us. But what is it like for you? I feel bad at asking you, but it needs to be said. What is it like for you to have to tell this story over and over again? Um, Well, first of all, let me tell the story. Okay, go ahead. Uh, uh, My son Kobe was 13 years old, had moved to Israel about... uh, age of nine with, with us he was the oldest of our four children and one morning he instead of going to school and cut school uh, in eighth grade went out to uh, with his friend Yosef Ishra to um, the canyon which stretches from Jerusalem the holy city past our community in, in Lushetzion and goes down to the Dead Sea you can you can walk out of my house walk about 50 yards walk down into this canyon and walk to the Dead Sea in about eight hours wow um, 
without seeing anybody. It's a wilderness area. Um, and they went there to explore the land of the Jewish people, to explain the, you know, the Lord's land, if you will. Um, and they were trapped in a small cave about 10 o'clock in the morning by four or five Palestinian terrorists and uh, beaten to death with boulders the size of bowling balls. Wow. Uh, the other boy was also in eighth grade. They were two children. Uh, and it was a brutal and very personal crime. It was not a crime that was a sniper. It was not a crime from uh, even a... Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't rocks being thrown. These people were closer, as close to them as I am to you right now. Um, we, of course, didn't know anything about it. We went through our day. Um, we were up all night. Kids didn't come home. Um, about 7 o'clock in the morning, a woman came to us and sat, stood my wife and I next to each other and said that um, they had found the boys about 500 yards from where we stood in our, in our backyard. Wow. Uh, and that they had been beaten to death. They had been murdered. My wife fell to the ground. I looked down at her. She looked up at me and she said, how are we going to get through this? I said, we're going to get through this because we have three other children. We're not going to allow the people who killed Kobe to destroy their lives as well. Um, and that's really the motivation for, for what we've done. We have a camp for over 400 children, wow. all of whom have lost an immediate family member to terror or tragedy, orphans, um, brothers and sisters. Uh, we have a program for about 100 women, um, widows and, uh, and bereaved mothers here in, here in Jerusalem. That uh, all of our programs are there so that these kids, these mothers, can come together with other people who can understand them. Because the major psychological problem of uh, long term of bereavement, of grief, is that nobody can understand you. You feel isolated. You have a core experience uh, that shakes you to, the, to, your, to, your, to your foundations. And you go to your friend, whether you're 10 years old, whether you're 50 years old, and you say, God, you know, I just I can't deal with it. And they have no way to relate. Um, so we created these programs where the people can come in and make one little kid will come up to another little, a new little kid and say, my brother was killed, what happened to you? Wow. And it becomes a, a, a oneness, a, a unity of these, of these kids that they can heal. They can come together and they can say, you know something, I can take the energy from this camp and I can go back to my house. And it doesn't matter whether my friend doesn't understand me because, you know, Joe over there, wow. you know, who had the same experience, he understood me. And they call each other up and they become each other's best friends. Wow. Um, so we believe that we're healing not only the individual kids, we're ultimately healing Israeli society, the communities that know that we're doing this, the families that know that we're doing this. And it really has created a sort of a new theme in society where you can talk about these things. You can begin to express how you feel in terms of your bereavement and your grief. Wow. That's amazing, sir. You know, actually, you know, this young soldier right now that's in jail, mm -hmm. uh, that there's been a lot of protests. He's been in there for a couple months now. Um, I actually went to one of the protests at the base where they were holding him outside of Ben Gurion Airport, uh, Yehud. Mm -hmm. I think that was it. I think that's the area. But anyway, uh, I ran into a, a young man and his sister and mother, whose father was killed five months ago by by a Muslim terrorist. Mm -hmm. And you know. To see what what your people sacrifice emotionally, to and the world forces you. They well, they don't force you, but you, I don't know how to describe it because sometimes, and I don't talk about internal conflicts that you have, like with your government. That's for you to solve. Sometimes it has to be talked about, uh, but. 
since I've been here, what I've seen, and I haven't seen half of what a lot of people have, I can't wrap my mind around it. Well, you know, Israel is one of the few places, or the only place in the world, where anybody will tell a Jew they can't live there. You know that? You go to Paris or Brussels or London, and you say, I'm Jewish, I want to live in this neighborhood. If they tell you you can't live here, live there, or we don't want you here, they'll get arrested. You can't do you can't, you know, that's, that's discrimination. Um, the only place that you can do that in the world is in Israel. In now, Jerusalem, in, in the West Bank, and other places. You mean Gaza, Judea, and Samaria? I mean Judea and Samaria, that's right. That's right. Um, but that's, that's, that's the fact of the matter. So, so, you know, this is where, my, where I live is where my people grew up. I can see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out there with their herds, walking through the field. You can see the Dead Sea from my, from, from my wow, town. You know? Wow, wow, wow. Uh, if you know in the Bible where it talks about the Abraham looking out toward, uh, toward the sea and saying, you can have all that, he was seeing, you know, Jericho. He was seeing out there. I can see that. I can see Moab. Wow. They call it Jordan today, but I call it Moab. Right, right. From right. my patio. Wow. Um, so in their town, people are telling me I can't live there. You know, the only place in the world where my true roots are, that's right, that's where they tell me. It's really ironic. With everything that you've been through, that you've, that's happened, look, you know, I respect the fact, again, that you've taken something that was a, such a tragedy and made flowers bloom. When you made Aliyah, I want to, this is important because it goes with what you've been through. First of all, where are you from originally? I'm originally from a small town in Connecticut. We made Aliyah. Oh, you're not from Jersey or Brooklyn? Not, no, 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 no. I always, I always promised myself I would never marry a girl from Long Island. My wife is from Long Island. <laughs> um, so uh, we made Aliyah from a place called Silver Spring, Maryland, outside of Jersey. Oh, yeah. We call Maryland the People's Republic of Maryland. That, that's right. Because so they're so leftist. I was a hill of drink. And I'll tell you something. You want to talk about Aliyah? I was a hill of drink at the University of Maryland. Oh wow! And during the uh, the Oslo process, when back in the nineties, back in the nineties, uh, I take that back. Ninety three, I think it was. Uh, I was standing in my hill, standing in my hill with a bunch of my students, and we were watching the famous handshake on the White House lawn. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Yitzhak Rabin. And I thought to myself, you know something? I think I can go back to Israel now, and my kids won't have to go into the army. My oldest was eight. I said, well, wait a minute. I don't think that's true, but maybe they won't have to go to war. And we came back in that in that window where I thought, wrongly obviously, that they had gone too far ahead not to make peace. And that's what we that's where we came back in that moment where I really thought there was going to be where, where there was going to be peace. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know the deception came from that because look. You know, I'm not. I'm an idiot, sir. I'm not a genius. Okay. Join the club. I just know that when I see the right thing to do, I just have to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't always do the right thing, but okay, that makes up hopefully for itself. But all I have to do is read the Quran, and I know exactly what it says. I can take you to chapter and verse, and when I see Yasser Arafat, and then now Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen, and I'm like, and then I listen to their media. And then I hear people say, "Ah, we're gonna, we'll do anything for peace." When I hear leftist Jews say, "We'll do anything for peace," that scares me. During the election, the last election you had for the prime minister, I was in Tel Aviv, and I literally had people say that we would, we want better health care, and we'll give up Judea and Samaria to have better health care. I was like, "Do you even realize what you're saying? Do you realize what you were saying?" Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I also I thought it was funny. They also talked about the reason that there's, there's high housing costs in Tel Aviv is because they're, they're investing in Judea and Samaria. Well, there's a half a million Jews who live in Judea and Samaria. Where are they going to go? Right. So, you know, that was that, I thought that was a really a uh, you know a weird kind of argument that people were using. But I sure. think you're the Jewish people. I, you know what, sir? I want to say this. Through the centuries, you've been berated. Uh, you know, you know the, you know how the propaganda goes. They own the banks. They own Hollywood. They own this. They own that. You know what, sir? The Jewish people are the smartest people walking on two feet. And I'd rather side with folks that got a little brains than folks that are just plain stupid. And every day that I'm here and I see what you had done, let me repeat this: in 68 years, happy birthday. I'll take it. I don't care what the world says. With that being said, I got off a little bit. It, that's sir. It's exciting for me. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad I could help. You. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here you you see this what's happening with Oslo. You bumped into your wife where on the metro? Or? No, I met my wife here. We got married here. I lived here for 15 years before I went back to become a Hillel director. Okay. Seven years. How so old we, are you? Can I ask your age? Yeah, you're the second person they asked that. 66 in, in June. Oh, you're not I'm doing bad. Old. You're doing good. I'm, I'm looking pretty good for that. <laughs> you age. you look like right. a professor. That's right. There you go. <laughs> so, so you you you're in the states. Uh, so, so we met my wife here. She wanted to come back once we had our, our second child. I promised her we would come back. She wanted to be me to go into the Hill of Work. Um, she was the one who forced me to become a rabbi. He said, go study to become a rabbi. Um, I did. We she got the said job. She, so she said I said, she said to me when my second child, when my first child was born, when Kobe was born, she said, well, it's time to go back to the States. And I said, okay, let's go. She said, well, what are you going to do with this? I said, I'll get a job now. I'll get a job. You can't do that. you got a family now. I said, all right, what do you think I should do? She said, I think you should go become an ordained rabbi and go become a Hillel director. Wow. So I said, okay. Why? I thought it would, I knew it would take a couple of years. I said, after two years, you'll forget all about that going back to the States. I was half right. Took two years, and we went back to the States, and I worked, and I loved the job. I loved, I loved working with students. I loved representing Israel and Judaism to, 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 uh, to, uh, to kids out there. Yeah. It, was a, it was a great thing. Um, and then uh, when the time came, as soon as the time came, because it, it was never a day I didn't want to come back to Israel. Every time I got up to pray, I said, this is not an I'm praying to go back to Israel. And all I got to do is get on a plane. That's it. You know? That's, That's all it. I so I felt that I felt there was some disconnect there. Right. Um, and uh, finally, you know, I was able to do it. The, the, the opening, the window came, and I jumped through it. Wow. And I think my wife is still surprised that I got her to come back. That's awesome. Now, let, let me ask you. Okay, so Kobe was born in the U.S. He was born in Israel. In Israel. He was, there, he was two years old when we went back to the U.S. Okay, okay. And he was going into fourth grade when we came back to Israel. Okay, mm -hmm. two years later. Okay. So how old was he when he, when he passed? He was 13 years old. 13. He'd been here about four years. What was... Before he uh, passed away, sir, before he was murdered, mm -hmm. do you recall the last conversation that you had with him? No, but I recall the last sports thing we did. <laughs> That's awesome. He was a kid who likes, was very good at sports. He likes sports. Um, I'll tell you a story in a minute. Uh, and I spent a lot of time doing sports with him. On the Yom Asmud, on the uh, just a year ago, remember he was married. He was killed a couple of days after Independence Day. On that day, we went out with some friends and we were at a big field and we had a barbecue, just like you do in America. And we played a uh, touch football game. The last play of the game 
and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you why. Uh, the, time, the, the, the play before I popped my hamstring, right, um, he threw me a touchdown pass. Wow. Caught the touchdown. I thought to myself at the time, what could be better? Your kid, your 13-year-old son just threw you a touchdown pass. Wow. So that was the last, I don't remember the last thing I said, but I remember the last thing we did together. That was like the last thing we did. A few, a few, a few well, how long is it? It's uh, uh, about 10 days later. Where go? That was when it was murder. Um, so uh, that obviously on there, on there forget. Um, uh, at the ship, at the, at the during the seven day morning period, where people come to console you, uh, Kobe's friends would come. And uh, the last day of the uh, of, this, of this period, this week long period, a kid came up to me. We just met him again yesterday. A little kid, and he said, "You know, last week Kobe and I were in uh, gym class together. Last week, eh? and he said it was volleyball. And this was a pudgy." kid, obviously not athletic, and he said, you know, I'm not very good at sports. Kobe was one of the best players in the class, but when the when the coach told us that we could take the last last 10 minutes of, of, of class and just play back and forth, just knock the ball back and forth, the kid started to cry and he said, Kobe took me. Okay. Wow. Um, so my daughter, who was 10, poked me in the, in the side and said, Kobe picked 10? You know, because a 10-year-old, a 13-year-old boy who can play, who's good at sports, he doesn't pick the worst kid in the class. Right. He picks one of the best. It's more fun to play from somebody who's good. Right. I found out later that when he was on the basketball court or the tennis court in, um, or the, uh, the soccer court in, in our hometown, he would always bring the kids who were weaker in. Wow. Um, you know what, sir? Listen, we're going to come right back, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about the Kobe Mandel Foundation. Great. All right, this is Michael Gennaro with Insight to Israel and Chocolates for Heroes. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We all have comfort zones. They're those areas of life that when disturbed, we cry out in protest, it's not fair, I don't like this. Instead of seeking your own comfort, imagine what the world would be like if we were looking to comfort others. That's what God does. The psalmist said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, God has every right to demand that we bring Him comfort, but instead He reaches out, and in our times of hurt, He brings healing. When Jesus Christ returns to this world again someday, every believer will be united with the Lord. That passage ends with a powerful sentence of security. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort. It conjures up thoughts of ease and inactivity. Yet the most comfortable we can be is in the center, the active center and purpose of our lives for God. Instead of looking for a way out of your current circumstances, why not look up to the Christ of comfort who will help you, heal you, and make you whole? This is John Bryan bringing you today's key word. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. You are listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. Joy, and then at the end of the video at the bottom of the street, all those people came together and they held up the Israeli flag. Uh, uh. And I used to, I, it was so such an amazing video to me. That I would even sit in my car and it just it was I downloaded that song on my iPod and I could I would just yeah. so I could listen to it and envision in my head. Uh, that was one of the motivators for me yeah. to want to be here in this country. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And to be on this street, and, and just in the three, almost four years that I've been here, even to see some of the changes to some of the, the structures in around us, but I can, I always feel that same, that same spirit mm-hmm. that was exuded from that video. And uh, I did a video one time, just a few weeks ago, because I just got back from the States, of some boys after a terrorist attack, after a Muslim attack, uh, some soldiers... Uh, not long after Hadar Cohen, are you familiar mm-hmm. with her? There was this, and they were in the street here, dancing and singing. And I did this video, and my mother commented, and she had just been here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother commented and said, "You know, it's very sad that that it's amazing how they find such joy." Continuous, mm-hmm. uh, and in spite of this, the situation, because she didn't understand it until she came here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, at the same time, she commented and said, "It's sad that even that even as Christians, we don't find that kind of joy like mm-hmm. we should." Mm-hmm. You know. Well, you know, my wife wrote two books. One is called The Blessing of Her Broken Heart about her and Kobe and what happened after he was murdered. The signs and wonders and uh, really, uh, you know, connections to the uh, to the beyond that she that she really felt. Yes, and sir. another one just came out called The Road to Resilience. And it's uh, from chaos to celebration. It's about the next step at what you do years after, how you how you come back to be better. And she believes and we believe that uh, you know, the deeper you can feel the pain, the deeper you can feel the joy. It's not wow. a matter, you know, if, if you don't if you don't, don't allow yourself to feel that pain, you also can't allow yourself to feel the joy. And, uh, you know, here in Israel, when we feel the pain, when we're so close to it, many of us know people who were killed, either in the army, but the the joy itself, you know, it's almost a defiance. Wow. I can't tell you how much we danced after Kobe was killed, not immediately. Right. Every every Shabbat service, we would get up and we danced because it's like, you know something? We're still here. We're not going to let you ruin our lives. We're going to have joy. We're going to have love in our lives. And we're going to have laughter in our lives. And, And it's a deeper more meaningful every time you do it. Amen. Wow. Wow, that's good stuff, sir. That is amazing. Well, so, okay, we have uh, the Kobe Mandel Foundation. Tell us a little bit about how that got started and how, how, uh, what the time span was actually between Kobe's death and... and so what we found in the very beginning after Kobe was killed is that... Um, uh, my wife and I got a lot of uh, a lot of support. Adults came over, they talked to us, they made us food. What we realized is that our kids did not get that same support. Teachers didn't know what was going on. Um, they knew what was going on, they didn't know how to deal with it. Their friends obviously couldn't deal with it. Their 10, 12-year-old friends couldn't deal with it. Um, and we realized that more than we needed support, they needed support. Um, my son uh, my son and daughter went to a camp that, that next summer. Kobe was killed in May. In July, they went to a camp for a couple of weeks in America. And um, the first day, uh, my son, 12 years old, called us up. And he was crying. He said, we said, Danny, why are you crying? He said, I'm watching the kids in, in Kobe's age, age group playing basketball. And I can't help but think how much Kobe would love it here. 
And so we realized then that, you know, he looks the same on the outside. You know, he laughs and he plays sports and he's all those things. But inside, he's thinking about his brother as much as think, well, we're thinking about our son. Yeah. And we thought, well, it would be wonderful to create an American-style camp uh, where we could create a safe environment for these kids to share and to be at that fun. Right? But yet they're with other kids who understand them. And that was really the uh, the impetus uh, to do it. Plus, we want to do something that Kobe would like. Right. And Kobe, Kobe likes sports. He liked to have a good time. Um, and he liked to help other kids. Yeah. So that's really that's really what it's about. Um, let me ask you, where uh, where is this camp held? Uh, and is, is it held every year, or how do you, how does the camp, the camp is held every year? Um, it's held every summer for about ten days. Well, it's about a thirty day camp. Each kid gets about ten days, okay? and that's only because of uh, financial restrictions. Right. Uh, we thought the, the ideal time for such a healing camp, such a therapeutic camp, would be three weeks. Right. But ten days is the longest that we can do it. It's very expensive to have kids and put them up. Children don't pay anything, and the families don't pay anything. Right. That's very important wow. to us. Um, uh, so then, during the course of the year, if we have the, the financial backing, we'll have a camp during the Hanukkah vacation in around Christmas time. Nice. And we'll have a, we just get, got that back from Elat for a camp down there with 250 kids. So we keep them together. Um, the kids come back every year. They just say it's happened. It began the next year. Kobe was killed in May of 2001. By June of 2002, we had our first program. Wow. Um, Wow. And uh, we've had kids there. Uh, they, they come from 8 to 18. Last summer, my wife and I go, we, we talked to the kids. And, um, I realized I was looking at these young girls uh, who were 17 years old. They were aging out of the camp. And I realized I'd known them since they were 10 years old. Wow. And so we, we, we mentioned that, and they remember being seven years old and meeting me. Wow. And we were all in tears wow. over this, you know. So uh, we become each other's families. We really become a place. They know they're going to be able to come back every every year to this place where they can be themselves. Yeah. And that's really the uh, that's really the healing process. That's what we want to do. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Do you ever get some of these kids to come back and, like, say, hey, what can I contribute? What, sure. what volunteer work can I do to help? We you? have a lot of kids now who are, who are um, counselors in the camp as well. That's wow. Right. We have a counselor for every four or five kids, and so we need a lot of counselors. We have American counselors who come from America in groups and, and work with us as well. Um, but these kids come back, and now they're counselors. Uh, my daughter, who is obviously, you know, affected by terror, now as well, she's a counselor. She's now aged out. She's just got married. We had her first grandchild wow. um, just recently. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And uh, uh, she was a uh, head counselor for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's very important to these kids. It's, again, the giving back is also a getting. Right. Um, and it really teaches them, they feel they have something to give, especially to these kids. And, and it's so much more meaningful. It's one thing to have, you know, I know we all need a professional that, that has its place, but, I can, you know, how much more meaningful when a kid looks at his counselor and the counselor understands the kid because at that same age. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Or the other kid. Or, or the other kid. That's right. right. That's right. right. We have obviously psychologists on staff right. and really in the very beginning we really built it together with the psychological insight that the psychologists have. Um, but really you're absolutely right. It's really the relationship between the kids that's the most important the relationship between the counselors. And they, by the way, stay in touch throughout their lives. We have kids now who are probably, let's see if they were 15 when they came, they're now 30 years old. We know they're still in touch wow. with their counselors from back then. Wow. We're now 35, 40 years old. Wow, that's amazing. What about the parents? 
So we so my wife runs this program for, for uh, women, uh, widows, and uh, um, and bereaved mothers. Uh, they come together every week. Di- different. We have about six or seven different programs all around Jerusalem area. Ten or ten or fifteen at a time. They do everything from uh, believe it or not yoga to um, jazz dance to uh, psychotherapy. Um, regular what you would think of as therapy groups and um, psychodrama where they're really it's really drama therapy and stuff yeah. like that. Um, again, it's the idea of this consistency. You know when somebody says something stupid to you, like um, it's all for the best, right? You know, or they only give these things to people who can handle them, right? All these kinds of things that people say all the time. My wife tells a story that she was in a local store and somebody came up to her and said, um, you know, whenever I feel bad, I just think about you. Because <laughs> whatever I feel is much worse than what you feel. So if you know you got somebody to talk about this with, it's much better. And then you can laugh about it. Right. You know, it's not like, oh my God. So this is it's so important to create these senses of these network of communities, of, of support, support communities. Right. Um, and that's, that, that's really the most healing part of it. You know, I love people. I know they have, many times they have good intentions, you know. Uh, you know, along those same lines, like my nephew, he was uh, he got upset and everything when I was visiting the states because the, the the string line and the weed eater he was doing my, my mother's right, grass right, you know? right. and he got all upset I said listen don't be don't there's no re, this can be fixed okay don't be so upset don't this is nothing compared to the bigger things that are going to happen in your life as you get older uh-huh. and I told him I said listen your uncle think about this there's nukes in Iran. Mm-hmm. And so that, in comparison to what you're going through, is nothing. And I live closer to them than you do. You know. Well, you know, an interesting thing is for us, particularly for us, it changes your whole perspective. Yeah. You know, don't sweat the small stuff. My kids tell us that we are different parents. You know, right wow. now, you know, we have, we have no. The kid is alive. He shows up for for, for dinner. We are happy. Right. Um, so, uh, better or for worse, we're much more relaxed about about parenting. Wow. Um, much more. Uh, uh, you know, the stuff. Great and stuff like that you know something it's all going to work out in terms of that uh, so it really changes who you are as a parent and who you are as a person You're much more empathetic yeah um, you uh, uh, I remember we walked we walked down right right around this street right I've been walking down this street and uh, the mother of one of uh, my son's friends pops out of the door said, oh hello how are you doing I'm horrible right? worst day of my life really what happened I was talking to us really what happened she said I just had a horrible fight with my boss and we looked at each other, doesn't sound so bad to me. <laughs> that, that, that should only be the worst day of my life. The one know? thing she ought to be glad for is I had a horrible fight with my boss, but I still have my job. That's right. That's, you know? right. That's right. So, you know, so people, you're right, people say stupid things and they don't mean it. Right. You know, they're thinking about themselves as we all do. Um, and uh, it's good to be able to come back to a place where you know that people have their priorities straight uh, and they share your experience. Um, they don't, uh, you know, they may, everybody says stupid things, but they don't say it about that. Right. What they'll say is they'll, they'll, they'll say, um, they'll use black humor. Right. There's a lot of jokes you can say to other people who have lost somebody that you can't say to anybody else. Yeah, right? absolutely. So that's also something you want to be able to express. Nice. You know what, sir? Okay, now, now you've branched out beyond beyond this camp. When is your next camp, by the way? Uh, next camp will be July the 6th, I believe. Might be the 8th. I'm not sure exactly. Okay. It'll okay. uh, go for basically 20 days. Um, 
uh, with a couple of days, couple of days in between. We'll have over 400 kids. And you do it in Elad every year? No, no. The Elad is just in the, in the summer, in the springtime. Okay. Um, we'll be on a kibbutz in the north of Israel. Okay. Not too far from the Lebanese border. Nice. Um, beautiful bucolic. It's like we rent out the entire kibbutz guest house. Wow. So we use all of their facilities. We use their basketball court. We use their tennis court. We use their pool. And it's um, uh, uh, it becomes our home for, for that period of time because nobody else is there. Right. You know, we have that. The kibbutz makes it there, but they don't really care. Um, but there are no other guests there because we want people to feel, again, as comfortable, as safe as possible. Right. We don't want to say, oh, see that kid over there? Which happens all the time. If you were killed, if your relative was killed in a terror act or in any other way, people treat you differently. Right. Um, uh, you know, I once was in uh, Muncie, New York, and a close friend of mine, before we came to visit, had lost a child to cancer. And I realized that nobody was coming to visit him. And I asked another friend of mine, why not? And they said, well, you know, he lost a child. So people are, are reticent to come visit you if you've lost a child. They don't, they don't want to, you know, they don't know what to say. They don't know how you, you are living in a different world. And if you're a terror victim, if something happened terror, all the more so because you, like, you've been a hero. Wow. You know, you, you've gotten, there, there were 10,000 people at my son's funeral. Right. My friend's wow. was, was wow. on national TV in Israel. Wow. Um, it was on the front page of every newspaper in um, in America. Of course, every newspaper here. So we have we were people don't know really how to how to how to deal with us. Wow. So to go to other people who say, yeah, I remember that there were thousands of people at my brother's funeral. Actually, I got, I got to tell you this story. Right? No, go ahead. Um, one of the first camps um, that we did, uh, my wife and my and, and a camper were invited to uh, a morning TV show, like um, like uh, what do you call them, the Today Show or something like that in Israel. And uh, my son insisted he be the one to come. So I wait, I'll wake up, wake up, turn on the TV. There's my wife and my son on TV, and the, the commentator speaking to my wife, you know, and ask her about the camp. And she tells him, turns to my son who's 12 years, maybe 13 years old. And says, well, Daniel, tell us what's different about this camp. Okay? No, I'm sorry. Just tell me, tell us about these things. Well, we have, um, we have basketball and we have swimming and we have, you know, and, the Dan- and I'm thinking, Daniel, tell him something different. And at that point, the commentator says, Daniel, what's different about this camp? He thinks for a minute and he said, well, last night there were 10 of us in my, in my bunk room, in my bunk, and we all sat around telling each other about the funerals of our brothers and sisters. Wow. Right? That's not a conversation he can have with his friends. Just can't have it. So that's the kind of thing that brings it up, and it makes somebody to share with. You're not alone anymore wow. in your feelings. Wow. Uh, and you take that with you. They've, we've been told they take that with the, the rest of the year. So they know, when, again, when someone says something stupid, when you're feeling isolated, you know, on uh, in the synagogue on, on a Friday night, particularly on, uh, on a Passover, right? It's a time when Jewish families all over the world come together. It's a thing, it goes back to the biblical times when everybody came and shared the Passover sacrifice together, right? So they come together, and I look around at everybody's face, and I see, you know something? They are happy. They look complete. They have this glowing sense of completion that everybody's going to be there. How can it? And we don't have that because at every table that we have, there's, a, so to speak, an empty chair. You know? So there's never that wow. sense of perfection, of, of completion in your uh, in your family life and things like that. Um, so if I feel that, right, and I have gone to psychologists and I'm American, right, imagine what a 15-year-old boy feels like, or a girl, or a 10-year-old boy. Right. Um, and as they get older, they change differently. My daughter, when she was turned 14, um, she came to me in the kitchen, it was a Friday night, and she said, Kobe was a baby. I said, well, that's true, but why do you say this? Well, I'm older than him now, and I'm still a baby. 
Wow. She was 10 when he was... So she had to deal with a 10-year-old differently as a, as a 14-year-old. Now she has a child. It's a whole different thing about how to, how to deal with that. So people have to deal with it as they mature as human beings. And it, and it changes over the years. So the camp gives them a place to go back to and talk to their counselors about how they feel now. Talk to their friends about how they feel now. Wow. Um, and so we really feel, again, that it's really a, a sense of healing and psychological completion um, for these kids to uh, to come in and, and, and have this place, this gift, really, from uh, from people all over the world. Because, again, they don't pay. It's really a gift from our donors, from the people who support this camp, for these kids to say, you know something, you went through something. Thank God it didn't happen to me. I can't be there for you, but I know this is important. And here's, you know, what I can do. I can give you something from my, from my pocket. Wow. That's amazing, sir, because uh, there's, to my knowledge, there's not another camp like this in the world. Um, there was first. There, there are some bereavement camps in America. Let's be clear, but okay. they're two or three days. Right. They go over a weekend. They're very different than ours. Very much, much smaller. Right. Um, uh, there was a camp uh, for the 9/11 kids for a while. It's oh not, wow! Yeah, there's no longer. No longer. I don't think it's any, any longer going on. I mean, those kids are no longer kids. Because right. thank God there hasn't been have been as many of those kinds of incidents. Right. Um, but you're right. Clearly, we're the longest um, in the world. Yeah, that's clearly, a long time. Clearly, we're the. When I say longest, the 10 days is the longest, right? Clearly we're the largest. This, this for sure we're the largest camp of this type, of type in the world. Um, and I think we have um, the greatest expertise uh, of anybody in terms of dealing with. We would, we, we would like to take it to other countries. Um, I think that we should be taking it really to Nepal where they just had a, a, um, a, a fatal uh, earthquake. Yeah. I'd like to take it to places in Africa where the kids are, um, are oh. difficult, you know. But, so all these places, wherever there's tragedy, we come in not at a traumatic time come a month or two later because frankly everybody leaves we all know that right after a week or two a month at the most suddenly the family is left alone that's when we come in and we say you're not alone we're here to help you we're here to come in invite you to these programs so you'll develop a community of people who can support you wow that's amazing let's you know let's talk about you have uh this is the camp you have uh, a comedy a yeah, that's right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that okay. because that's not just here in Israel. That's in the U.S. too, right? A little bit, but mostly it's here in Israel. Okay. We, we do, we, we'll do it in the U.S., but that's uh, the, the real point of it is that to bring... Um, uh, well, first of all, it's called Comedy for Kobe. Okay. So people ask me, Kobe, comedy? The kid got killed when he was 13, and you're naming a comedy show after him? The fact is that Kobe loved to laugh. He loved uh, comedy. He had on, his, uh, on the computer, he had downloaded hundreds of jokes. Um, what do you call it? One line, everything from blonde jokes um, to uh, Polish jokes. Some of them we can actually say in public. Um, and, uh, he was a 13-year-old boy. He was, right. He was right. a normal 13-year-old boy. Um, so we know that this is, again, we want to do things that, in, that he loves to do. Right. And he loved comedy when this idea was brought up to us. Uh, we, we do the a show, a, a tour, six different places in Israel. Okay. Uh, so uh, twice a year. Um, we have about 2,500 uh, people in the audience. Uh, it's a fundraiser for the for the, for the foundation, and uh, it brings great uh, joy and laughter to people. People consistently tell us it's their favorite night of the year. Wow! Um, nice. So, so it's really uh, it's really great for us because you know 
it changes the image that we have as a family in the world. That people wow. no longer say, oh, those poor people. It's like, oh, comedy for Kobe. I saw you on stage. Wow. When Sherry and my wife and I get up, introduce it, talk about, about, about the foundation, and um, tell a couple of jokes, uh, which, you know, are not as good as a comedian, but that allows the first comedian to come out and make fun of us. It breaks so, the ice. That's right. That's it breaks right, the right. ice. That's right. Now, when did, you, when did you start this aspect to help in the fundraising for uh, well, you mean the Kobe, comedy for Kobe? Yeah, uh, I think that was about um, I want to say eight years ago, something like that. Oh, okay. About, about five years after uh, somebody came to us and, and suggested it to yeah. us. Uh, okay. So um, and we we jumped at the chance. Nice. Uh, so it's great. It's really uh, you know we hang out with the comedians who, by the way, aren't that funny when they're not on stage. <laughs> uh, but we hang out with the comedians and we go to lunch with them and we were backstage with them. So for us. You know, it's a real. It's every twice happens twice a year. We get we look forward to that. Yeah. That's kind of like our therapy. You know, nice. Talk to these guys. Let me ask you. Do you now? Do you, have you had anyone that that maybe Americans might know? Of? Sure, uh, Jeffrey Ross. I've heard of Jeff. Uh, Jeff he's, uh, he's called. I don't, the, I don't watch a lot of comedies. Most of these guys are guys who who have played on the Conan O'Brien show, okay. uh, Jimmy Kimmel, those kind those kind of shows. Nice. That's the level. Um, but he, once they get their own show, they're already like in a little higher. They're not coming with with three other comedians, right? Four other comedians. Um, who else? Uh, we had the head writer, getting Brian Kiley, the head writer on the Conan O'Brien show. Um, uh, so yeah, so the people, you know, uh, we're bringing a guy named Sarge now. I don't know. I don't. Again, if you don't follow comedy, you know, you only know the real, real top guys. Yeah. So that's just a, uh, that's just a fact. But they're top-notch guys. They're always funny. We've never had a dud. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, people love it. People come every year, twice a year. You know, consistently. When, when do you normally have like? So we have, so one is going to start starts the end of May and goes for about a week, and then we do another one in the beginning of December. Nice. So for about a week, you know. Nice. So it's winter and winter and summer. Now it's here in Jerusalem that you have it. It's all over. It's in six different places. Oh, okay. It's, it's all over the country. It's in Jerusalem. It's in Tel Aviv. Uh, another place you haven't heard of. It's in Renana. Um, what do you call it? Uh, Beit Shemers. All these places. Um, Renana. Uh, where is it in Renana? I've uh, actually been. There. Well, this year it's going to be Renana. It's in a place called. Um, uh, the, I don't remember the name of the place. It's okay. Like, That's it, all. It doesn't matter. It's a show, but we'll, we'll, we'll invite you. You can come as I come as I guess. This year it's going to be in Herzliya. In the 700 feet, 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 feet. It's a serious thing. We, wow. we get 2,500 people in these six shows. Wow. You know, so, That's uh, awesome. And it's great. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. So, okay. So, you've done all this. And so, this is... This has been obviously, as far as the comedy goes, that's been pretty successful because you've had it for that long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in helping you raise money. Right. That's right. We're going to put a link actually with uh, with our advertisements for this week's radio show. Um, do you still have? There's a reason why I'm asking. Do you still have family in the United States? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. All my families. We have no family here. All my family's in the United States. What? How? What is it? How is it? This whole incident shaped their view of Israel as, as American Jews that don't live here. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. It depends upon who it who it is. Um, I think that they're much closer to Israel as a result of, as a result of us living here. That's for sure. They have wow. a personal connection um, to Israel. I don't know that the Kobe's murder had much vis-a-vis Israel. They are uh, not connected particularly to the Jewish communities in America in, ge- in general. Neither was I before I came to Israel. Um, wow. So uh, I think it's more us being here. Yeah. Uh, you know, they come to America. When we, my wife and I both speak often in America and other places. We go to Australia in uh, um, uh, in the end of June. 
uh, to speak. So we speak we speak often, but and they come to it once in a while. Um, but they're not uh, they're not so connected. That's the, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. So uh, now has it given them because you know uh, I, I have a lot of Americans that I talk to and they're like you know. They have a negative view of Israel. Mm-hmm. They've maybe been here, but they're, first of all, like, it's too hard. That's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest, it's too hard. Right. But then when they see the terrorist attacks, uh, what do you think, like, if, after this happened, did they ever encourage you, maybe you need to come back here? Um, to the U.S.? My, I think my, my wife's parents did. Um, you know, I was kind of too far gone by that time. Yeah. <laughs> they knew I wasn't going to listen to them anyway. Right, um, right. Know, so, uh, so they never really said that. Um, they were trying to be as supportive as possible yeah. so in, what, in, in any way that they could. You know? right. I still see both my brothers. Uh, my, in fact, one of my brothers was the uh, chairman of a board of directors in America for the first five or six years. Oh, wow. So he really helped to, uh, to form the foundation in America. Uh, so... I, I, I remain close to them. I see them uh, whenever I go back to America, pretty much. Um, but, uh, you know, they're just not... Jew, Jew, Israel is not a part of their everyday, right. their, their everyday life. As, as, by the way, is unfortunately true for many Jews, even most Jews in America. Right. You know. Wow. What, what do you think, knowing your son, and, and maybe... I, I don't know if you ever talked about these things, but... Did your son ever ask you, did Kobe ever ask you, Dad, why do we live here and not in the United States? No, the opposite. He asked me why do we live in the United States, not, not in Israel. He was, he always loved Israel. When he was in he was in grade school, he was in, when he was in um, uh, second or third grade, you know, in school they would give out these things like, you know, you know, what do you want to eat? He would say pizza. You know, what's your favorite thing to do? I want to play basketball. Where do you want to live? Where, where do you want to live? I want to live in Israel. He wow. always had this connection to go to Israel. And it was very difficult for him in the very beginning. He didn't speak Hebrew. Yeah. Um, he came in. He was really the outsider in his class of, of, not, of 49-year-old boys, if you can imagine that. All who spoke Hebrew. And he never complained. He always loved being here. He always felt that this was really his uh, his place. Wow. You know? So that, that makes me feel good that yeah. I didn't schlep him here. And I, I didn't bring him. He, he would have come sooner if he, if he could have. Wow. That's, that's amazing to hear. That in spite of this situation, that you know, even before, I'm sure you obviously you could have never imagined, but to know that your son had such a love for the country, mm-hmm. in spite of the tragic situation, you know that he wanted this was where his heart was. This, this is clearly where his heart was. Wow. That's and amazing. by the way, he was killed in the act of exploring the land of Israel. He was out there, you know, wanting to go to different places in this in this canyon where his friends had been, and because he was more or less new to the community, he hadn't yet been. Uh, so he really felt a strong, deep connection to, to the land and to the people. Well, I'll tell you what, sir. We have about two minutes left. And I want to say, uh, Rabbi Mandel, it was a pleasure to see you again. If you had one message uh, for American Jews and Americans in general, I want to, let's do a do, two-fold message. Mm-hmm. What would that message be? Kobe Mandel. So here, here is his, you know... Um, one of our problems, one of our challenges, uh, is that we were oversubscribed for our uh, free Passover camp by about twenty uh, percent. Wow! Uh, we had uh, we had four buses planned, and we had enough kids who wanted to come for five buses. The last thing I wanted to do was uh, was not take a kid who needed it. Right. We went out and we got a um, uh, we got another bus, we got a special donation. Right now, we're making a special. Um, uh, appeal 
for this summer's camp. Um, it's a cause match. It's a it's a cause match thing. You go to causematch.com slash Camp Kobe. And we're going to post that. We, we, we post that. You, every dollar that somebody donates is going to be um, doubled uh, on, wow. uh, on, on the spot. Any donation, no donation is too small. Amen. Right? Um, the, better, the more the better. The more money that we have, the more kids that we can bring to camp. It's a simple one-to-one relationship. Every day at camp costs $150 per kid. Right? Every year costs $1,500 per kid. Uh, so it's an expensive thing. The kids, again, don't pay anything. The parents don't pay anything. And we need uh, the American Jewish community and the American Christian community right. to bless us, frankly. Amen. Um, with their uh, with their abilities to uh, you know to fork over some money for these poor kids because they need it and we need it. Absolutely. America, this is one of those unique moments that you know sometimes we have we think that we have to give a lot of money and uh, if you're an American even living here in Israel sure. I'm sure you could use the volunteer mm-hmm. even if you're not Jewish to see and spend time with these kids and with the adults and to meet uh, Rabbi Mendel and his wife and, and have that chance to experience that tragedy and triumph that God has brought you through is a blessing so uh, we're going to post this information uh, with this advertisement for the radio show that we're going to do this Sunday and uh, with the YouTube video that we're going to post after the radio show airs. So, Rabbi Mandel, thank you, sir, for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And, uh, this, folks, this is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel and Chocolates for Heroes. God bless the patriot conservatives who stand for the Judeo-Christian founded Constitution and Bill of Rights. And God bless Israel in her fight for sovereignty and security. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate